working on that. All right. Um, if you need a Bible, we already dismissed the kids, right? Yes. Well, okay. I, don't, I missed that somehow. All right. Uh, if uh, you need a Bible, we uh, have some extras in the back, and we would like to uh, give you a Bible today. All right. Hold your hand up if you need one, and our guys will get one to you right now. Looks like everybody's equipped here this morning. That's a blessing. You know what that means, that we give you a Bible? We want you to be able to see with your own eyes that these things are not the opinions of preachers, that this is God's Word. That's, that's what that means. And uh, we're going to close the doors in the back there. You know what that means? We might lock them, too. That means we... <laughs> Stick around, will you? Don't go in and out, you know, during the preaching. Not because it bothers me so much, but I guarantee you it bothers the person sitting next to you. It's a distraction. That's what that means. And I'm going to ask you to turn your cell phones off, too. Will you do that? You know what that means? There's nothing more important than what's going on right now. And I'm going to take my watch off and set it here on the pulpit. You know what that means? Nothing at all. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so you might as well just relax, all right? Because you're going to be here for a while. I'm going to just keep preaching until you get it. I think that's, maybe that's what I'll do this morning. Um, don't get nervous. I'm only kidding. Some of you are already getting nervous. All right, Romans chapter 15, if you will. And I'm only also kidding about my brother Pat, too. In the prayer room this morning, I, I shared that I was going to be preaching on hope. And that is the wrong thing to let a preacher know what you're going to be preaching on because <laughs> I'm glad you left me some verses uh, for my message this morning, brother. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, Romans chapter 15. And uh, we're just going to look at one verse this morning. And, um, and I, I, <clears throat> I really want to ask you this morning... I don't mean just turn your phone off and, and focus your mind, but I mean pay attention this morning. Really, pay attention this morning. Because I guarantee you, this church needs this message this morning. This church is, needs this message this morning. And I want you to pay attention. Don't think about how this could be used to fix the problems in your wife's life or your husband's life. Just worry about you. Consider yourself here today. And, and take, take heed. Let God give you something this morning from His Word. And I, I certainly have gotten, uh, gotten something for my own heart and soul in the preparation of this. And I'm, I'm just trusting that God will really minister to this church today. In, in what it needs, all right? Romans chapter 15, we're going to read verse number 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. <clears throat> now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. There's, there's, uh, we, we spoke the last time, um, whenever that was, a couple of weeks ago, Oh, by the way, the, I meant to mention the offering for the missionary last week uh, was $5,250. So, praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. Thank you, First Bible Church. I know you did that for the Lord, not for me, but what a blessing it was for that, that pastor, that, that missionary, and the needs that he has. And I don't know how that will all work out. He's a missionary to Ukraine. And, um, I mean, if you're, you know, you've been watching, I'm sure, like everybody, and the things that are going on over there, and I don't know what Brother Rue will be able to do in the future, if he'll even be able to get back in that country. But uh, things are really developing there quite rapidly. But he has a very good church, almost 20 years old, and some good people that are sound in their doctrine and, and love the Lord and are out street preaching and winning souls. And, and his heart is obviously broken and burdened for them. So pray for there's several of them over there, even in the city of Odessa, Kiev, and some other places where uh, he has missionary friends over there. So just pray for the believers in Ukraine for their safety as they go through this time. But, um, but a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on this, it says, fill you with all joy and peace. And we're not going to go back and, 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 and look at those things again. But it did strike me when I was just preparing for this message again that it says fill. And this world, and unfortunately... It's not a problem just in the world. It's a problem in the lives of a lot of Christians as well. Is there's, a, there's a shortage of joy and a shortage of peace. You obviously know this world has no joy and has no peace. That we're not shocked at. But what is shocking is that so many of God's people lack joy and lack peace. Troubled miserable, depressed, cranky, irritable, you know. But I notice in thinking about this again that these things, joy is not something superficial. This is not a particular kind of conduct. This is not God filling you with the right sort of behavior. God doesn't do that. Behavior and conduct is the fruit of whatever it is that has already filled you. So these things are more like the spring, the source, the fountain. And let me tell you, joy and peace only come from God. God's the one who has to fill you with that. The world isn't going to give you joy. Your bank account might give you pleasure, but it can't give you joy. And um, no matter what is happening in this world, you're not going to get the peace that is eternal, that passes all understanding except from the Lord. And it's God's desire that you be filled with those things, that you have an abundance of joy and peace in your heart, in spite of whatever is happening around you, that a Christian can still, I don't want to use the term happy, but because joy is something deeper than happiness. I've seen the wicked happy. I've seen, you know, I've seen the world happy when their team wins. I've seen the world happy when they've you know, won the lottery or something like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about joy that's way down deep in your soul. That comes because you know the author of this book and you know him well. That's the source of joy and that's the source of peace. And if you don't have that joy and that peace down deep, then, then it shows in your countenance, it shows in your behavior, it shows in your speech, it shows in every way. And there are a lot of, let's just be honest, there are a lot of miserable Christians. I mean, you feel miserable, you behave miserable, 
you have a miserable effect on others around you, rather than bringing comfort and encouragement, whew, you are to be avoided sometimes. And that's a shame. But look at God's desire here. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And the next two words are in believing. And that's where joy and peace come from. Get a hold of the book. Get it in your heart. Believe it with all your heart. And you'll find that this book gives you joy. Those are both the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. That comes from having the book, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit in your heart. The fruit of that, the result of that is joy. You want some joy? Take God at His Word. You want some peace in your life? Take God at His Word. And, uh, and, but um, anyway, uh, that's not the message this morning. But I want to go on to the, the, the next thing, the third thing that was mentioned in this. And uh, it says in the beginning of that verse that God is the God of hope. And fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may <clears throat> abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Abounding, that means an abundance. Lots and lots of hope. Lots and lots of hope. Hope doesn't mean wishing and, you know, and longing for something to come to pass. But hope is that earnest expectation that a believer can have that the future is in God's hands and that your good is His concern, and His glory is His concern as well. So hope has, to do with, hope has to do with trusting and believing and setting your sights upon the Lord. But this morning, I want to talk to you about abounding, abounding in hope. Now, <clears throat> this is going to be, you're going to need your Bible this morning, because basically, a $5 concordance, and uh, you could have gotten this message for yourself. Because we're just going to, Take a travel. We're going to take a trip through the Word of God and look at some passages that speak of hope in all different kinds of situations. And one of these situations is going to fit you this morning, and you're going to need it. If not now, sometime in the future. And uh, so I want you to just take heed and uh, just um, and uh, just let these things just sink in to your heart this morning. Now, first of all, we're going to go back to Psalm 119. <clears throat> and uh, I'm making this my first point because in some churches this would have to be the main point. But in First Bible Church, we're going to say this one at the beginning because I'm sure if you've been here for any amount of time, you already know this. Is that hope comes from the Word of God. In the book of, in the chapter, Psalm 119, the word hope is found four times, coincidentally. And uh, we've taught this in Institute and mentioned it frequently on a Sunday morning, but four has a special significance in the Scriptures because it's God's way of bringing something before you for your consideration. It's like God bringing four witnesses into a courtroom and each one of them giving their testimony. And there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of this in the Scriptures where things, words, phrases, events happen in, a, in that fourfold pattern. And God just does that so you will pay attention Take note and go look at those, the testimonies of those four witnesses. And in Psalm 119, it just so happens that the word hope is found four times. And in every verse where hope is found, each of those times, all four times, it's in connection to trusting the Word of God. Now, 
That's a simple point, but that's a basic point. It's an important point. If you're going to have hope at all, it's going to be, be it's going to be because you have given the word of God the right priority in your life. You know what I'm saying? You say, well, doesn't every Christian do that? <coughs> yeah. Every Christian does that. Gives the word of God the right priority in your life. Now, the truth is the word of God for most Christians comes way down that list of things that are important to you. It comes after probably your hobbies and it comes after your career and it, for some of you, unfortunately, comes after your children. You say, well, that, that's normal. shouldn't be because your children need to see the, the hope and the knowledge that you have in the Scriptures. But for most people, the Bible comes like almost dead last. And it's not unusual and it's not a coincidence that many times those people are some of the most discouraged Christians, easily upset, likely to despair, Likely to need medication. And and sometimes we do physically need medication, and I'm not disparaging that, but I'm saying sometimes, for some Christians, it's just a lack of time in the book, a lack of allowing the book to have time in you, allowing the Word of God to work in you, because the fruit, the outcome of that, is it fills you with hope. You have hope for the future. You have a reasonable and earnest expectation for the future. Look at these verses in Psalm 119. Go to verse 49, for example. Verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant. Imagine telling God to remember his word. David's talking to the Lord. Lord, don't forget what you said. Lord, don't forget what you said because I'm, I'm hanging on it, Lord. Isn't that a blessing? You know, every once in a while, you need to remind God what he said. He hasn't forgotten. Believe me, he hasn't forgotten, but David did it. Lord, remember what you said? You know, you're not really reminding God, you're reminding your soul, you're reminding you. But God doesn't mind you reminding him to remember. Because God would never forget what he's promised. He wants to make sure you don't forget what he's promised. David said, remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me. To hope. Lord, don't forget what you promised. Because I'm resting everything on that. That's a good way to go through life. It's a good way to go through life. Where your hope is in God's faithfulness to be true to His Word. Imagine that. So that means the only way the future could ever not turn out to be right for you is if God should fail. And there's no chance of that. There is no chance of that. Look at this one. Number 81. Verse 81. It says, uh, this is the second time that hope is found in this chapter. My soul fainteth for thy salvation. Sometimes salvation means just deliverance. Help. Saving you not just from hell, but saving you from a bad situation. Saving you from yourself. Saving you from your own flesh. Saving your testimony, saving your marriage, saving your kids, saving whatever. David said, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. Longing for, to see God work and deliver. You ever, you ever had that happen where, Lord, are, are you around? Lord, are you going to do something? But I hope in thy word. Hope. Hope. Because you have the word of God. Look at 114. Verse 114. 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. 
I hope in thy word. Look at verse 116. And this is the fourth time you're going to find hope in this chapter. Uphold me. Hold me up, Lord, according unto thy word, that I may live. And let me not be ashamed. Let me not ever be brought to shame. Or brought to, you know, uh, to be brought to reproach because I trusted in you. You know, the Lord will never let that happen. When you put your confidence in Him and your hope in His Word, He will never let you be brought to embarrassment or shame for having done that. Not ever. You put your confidence in man, that will bring you some embarrassment. You put your trust in the world, you may be ashamed of having done that, but you will never be ashamed of having trusted God. You will never be ashamed that, Lord, I just took you at your word. God will never let that happen. Hope in the Word of God. Go back with me. I told you we're going we're gonna to go all through the Word of God this morning, and some of this, sooner or later, is going to hit you. Sooner or later, somebody in here is going to sit up and take note and put some of this in your heart. Go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, look at verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Drop down to verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. Can I tell you something? Uh, Some of you are not going to like this. But do you know what your children need more than a college education? I'm not saying they don't need that. I wouldn't recommend you send them to a university in the world. I wouldn't recommend you put your confidence in the educators that this world has turned out. Because they'll strip your kids of any faith that they have left in the Word of God. And they will turn them against God. They'll make full-fledged atheists out of them if they can. That's their goal. They'll turn them against authority. And so, if you're foolish enough to think that just by sending them off to some university, your kids are safe, you, you, have, you have not been thinking with your right mind. You've been thinking the way the world conditioned you to think. That higher education is the answer for everything. Higher education just puts lots of letters after the names of a lot of stupid people. And many of them are professors who despise this book, despise your God... And will single out and embarrass, if they can, anybody underneath them in their class who professes to or demonstrates any confidence in the Word of God. And if you would like to send your children off to that, to the wolves, to devour their hearts and their souls, then really you need to rethink your responsibility as a parent. Because the world may say, you gave them the best education you could have, but when you stand before God, He's going to say, what in the world did you do to your kids? But you know what our children need more than anything else? Your kids and my kids. We got little ones in here and we got big kids in here. Our children, what they need is a confidence in the Word of God for the future. They need moms and dads that love this book. They need moms and dads that demonstrate in their homes that they love the Word of God. That they would put the, they would put the precepts of this book above the opinions of anybody. The opinions of educators, news reporters. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I know there's some smart people in this world, but there's nobody smarter than my God. There's nobody wiser than the one who wrote this book. And if you scoff at that, your children are going to pick up on that. 
if you esteem and hold in such great respect, you know, the educated men and women of this world, then your kids will too. And they'll think that, eh, you know, the Bible is something we do at church on Sunday morning, but it's not really relevant to the world out there. So we're turning out a generation of atheists, we're a practical atheists. We're turning out a generation of kids who many times grew up in Sunday school, but have no love for the Word of God and no confidence in God because they never saw it in their parents. God have mercy on this church. If you have your priorities wrong as a mom and dad, get it right for the sake of your children. Let your children see you reading the Word of God. Let your children see you taking the opinions and the precepts of God above anything this world may have to offer. That's what your kids need more than anything else. Because they're going to learn to love and respect the Bible if they see mom and dad do it. And if they don't see mom and dad do it, if they've never seen dad sit down and open his Bible and read, or seen mom spend some time crying over the Scriptures, I'll tell you what, those things make impressions on children's heart. I can remember that. I can remember watching my mom sit at the kitchen table, sitting reading her Bible every day. A tear-stained old Bible. Now, I had no love for it as a young man, as a teenager. I was as stupid as some of the teenagers in this church, and I don't mean that in any disrespect because I was a teenager too. I know when you're a teenager, your brain just sort of goes on hold and you get it back when you're about 22 or 23 sometimes. <laughs> but I know, I've been there, and I, I, love, I love the kids in this church. You're dear to me. And I mean that with all my heart. When kids in this church get in trouble, it, it hurts my heart like it was one of my own. And you have no idea. But I'm telling you, some of the trouble our kids get into is because moms and dads haven't loved and lived at home what they profess to here on a Sunday morning. You say it here, but we know it's just blah, 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 blah. It doesn't mean anything to you on a Monday and a Tuesday. Your kids see you sing and hold a hymn book and open your Bible on a Sunday morning. But do you know what many of you are teaching them? You're teaching them that most Christians are hypocrites. God help you. God help you. Your kids will never, until they're older, think that you're right in everything. But you know what? They need to see that you cared about the things of God. Look at it again. Psalm 78, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done, that the generation to come, the young people growing up here in our midst, the young people that are facing things a lot worse than what you and I faced when we were young. I know we say that it's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, this is a society saturated saturated with filth. I mean, even when I was a kid, I mean, everybody had a wicked heart, but some of that stuff was still behind closed doors. I mean, now nothing's behind closed doors. I mean, it's, it's right in your living room. It's on that television. It's everywhere you go. It's at school. It's, you can't even escape it. And our young people have to deal with that every day. This generation to come needs some moms and dads and older Christians that love this book and aren't ashamed to demonstrate that in front of our children. That the generation to come might know them, the Word of God, the Scriptures, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Why? That they might set their hope in God. This book is necessary if your children will have any hope. 
If you're so easily discouraged, every time the slightest thing happens, every time the washing machine breaks, every time something goes wrong in your life, your first recourse is not to thank God, not to pray, not to look in the Scriptures, not to just, you know, seek some counsel. For many Christians, quote-unquote, your first response is to curse, your first response is to fight, your first response is to despair. And your kids, your kids watch that. They hear your mouth at home. I'm sure there are many kids that cannot wait until they don't have to come here anymore. Can't wait until they don't have to be dragged to this place anymore. And that's where many of them, that's what many of them did. That's where many of them are today. And I know that good people, good parents can have children that go astray. I understand that. You can do everything you were supposed to do. I understand that. David and Josiah, men in the Bible, Josiah had a heart for God like no other king in the Bible, and he had a wicked son. I understand that. But don't let it be because you failed in some way to demonstrate at home that you love this book. Live it. Live it. Why? So your kids will have some hope. This is, a, this is a culture of young people that have no hope for the future. There's just nothing but despair. There's no answers. There's no connection with anybody. So they just connect with each other. Now, that's, that's mostly the fault of adults. That's mostly our fault. That the generation to come might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. We need this book so that the generation to come will hope. Go back to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. David, I I wish I could just preach a little bit on the, the title of this psalm, but we don't have time. But notice it says it was for the sons of Korah. And you could go back in your Bible and find out who the sons of Korah were. Not Korah Bowman. <laughs> Although she's got some pretty good sons. But I'm talking about, you remember, the Korah in the Bible with a K, not a C. Was a rebel. And a lot of his family was destroyed because of his rebellion. And I'll bet you those kids grew up with probably a lot of shame, a lot of regret. And you know how many of the Psalms? There's a number of the Psalms that are written for the sons of Korah to encourage them. To encourage them. To, to help them in spite of the failure of your father, in spite of the failure of your forefathers. There's hope. There's hope. Yeah, that generation before may have let us down. Your parents might have let you down. And we might have some sons of Korah in that sense in this place. But I want to tell you, God is a God of brand new chances. God is a God of hope. Look at this. David is talking about, he's talking like somebody who cannot get a hold of God. You ever been in a situation like that where it just seems you're saved and you know the Lord, but it just seems like God is far away? Where you're just longing for, Lord, I need to hear your voice. I, I need to have some time with you. If you... If you if you've ever had a close relationship with God, you know that there are times, it, seems, it just seems like the Lord withdraws Himself. He says so in His Word that He'll do that. And it's not because He's 
playing with your head. He wants to find out how much do you really want to be with me. You know, like they say, absence makes the heart grow, you know, fonder. The Lord understands that too. Sometimes He'll just withdraw. You didn't do anything wrong. But He wants you to seek Him with all your heart. And that's what David is, David is saying here, Lord... My, my soul is panting, Lord. Verse number two, my soul thirsteth. Verse three, my tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? David said, even when I go to church and there's a big crowd, I feel alone. I feel isolated. You ever felt like that? He says, look at this, verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. I was in church. I was where I was supposed to be. I was doing what I was supposed to do. But Lord, it just seemed like I was all alone. It seemed like you were far away. Verse 5, David said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? David is encouraging himself. He's talking to himself here. Hope thou in God. Don't forget hope. Hope thou in God. Watch this. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. For the help of his countenance. That phrase struck me. The help of his countenance. You know what your countenance is? It's your face. It's your countenance. David's hope was that, Lord, I'll get some help from your countenance. You know how you get help from his countenance? You stick your face in his face. (laughs) You know, and you talk to him face to face. And you let God talk to you face to face. Your face is where the words come out, right? This is the face of God. When he says, seek ye my face, this is what he's talking about. This is what he wants you to do. Shut everything off and just stick your face right here. And just stay there until God speaks to you. And just look at Him. And just... You ever, when you've loved somebody, you love looking in their face and you, you, know, you count the hairs on their eyebrows and you know where every mole is and every freckle is because the person is dear to you. You know, just look in His face until something in here just catches your eye and you find out, wow, Lord... You are lovely. You are, you are wonderful. And you let Him speak to you. And you know what you'll get? You'll get some help from His countenance. Go a little further in that psalm. Look down just a little bit further. Um, verse number... Um, it says in verse number... Verse number 11. I'm going to skip over some things here because I've got a whole lot of stuff I want to show you. But look at verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Sounds identical to the previous verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Now look at this. It almost says the same, but it's not quite the same. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. Do you know what happens? The help of his countenance is the health of your countenance. You know what will fix your face? It ain't Maybelline. You know what some of you need for your face? You need some more time in His face. It'll put a smile on your face. It'll put that nasty look that some of you have in your eye. 
that makes me sometimes afraid to speak to you. Because I want to just stay out of arm's reach. I mean, it can fix the things in you. You know, put, put a song in your heart. Put that joy and that peace down there within. Fill you with that stuff. So you know what happens? Eventually, it shows up on your face. It doesn't mean that everything's going right in your life. It could still be just going dead wrong. But you know what? God hasn't died. He's still alive. And everything in heaven is just perfect. And that's where your citizenship and your conversation is. It's in heaven. You need the help of His countenance for the health of your countenance. And you know what the result of that is? Hope. Hope. Look at this. Go over to Psalm 130. This book is just full of hope. (laughs) There's hope everywhere you turn. Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Look at verse number 5. I wait for the Lord. That's what somebody does who has hope. Hope means, hope is fixed on something in the future. And you're willing just to patiently trust that God has the future in His control. Wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in His word, in His word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord. More than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. You know, many times when something is troubling you and you're burdened down, this has happened, you know, occasionally to me and I know to many others, probably to everybody at one time or another, you're just so concerned or bothered about something, you can't sleep. Ever been there? Might be a problem in your own life or a heartache in somebody else's life. You're burdened for them or there's some trouble. There's some financial problem, a health problem. And you know what? Your sleep is just taken from you. You can't sleep. You try, you just can't sleep. And the hours are going by and you're looking at the clock. And you know what you're wishing for and waiting for and hoping for? Boy, I wish that sun would just come up. I wish this night would be over. I wish, I just wishing for the dawn, waiting for that sun to come up. And David ex- experienced that more than once. But he said, you know what, Lord, I'm waiting for you and your mercy. It says in verse 7, let Israel hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption. David, there were situations in David's life where he just needed God's mercy. He needed that, that charity and that forgiveness and that help from God. And maybe it wasn't coming immediately. It wasn't there sometimes when you you need deliverance, you need help, you need rescue, you need something from God. And it doesn't come the instant you pray for it. And so what does what does a believing heart do? What should you do? You wait, you wait and you trust and you hope in God and you wait for his mercy. And remember, we say we say this morning, great is thy faithfulness. But you know, I can tell you something, there's something even greater than God's faithfulness. It's His mercy. It's His mercy. Go back to Psalm 103. I was having a little Bible study with Brian Fay. went to visit him. And we were just reading some scripture verses and talking about some stuff, trying to encourage him. And uh, Brian pointed out something to me that was a blessing. He said, yeah, you know that verse in the Bible that says God's faithfulness is unto the clouds? I said, yeah. I think we used to have it up here. We had a banner, remember, a couple of years ago. Had a picture of clouds and we had that verse on it. His faithfulness is unto the clouds. But His mercy is in the heavens. Ooh, 
He said, he said does, that mean, does that mean God's mercy is greater than his faithfulness? I said, yes, that's exactly. I said, that's exactly. Great is thy faithfulness, but Lord, thank you. There are times I appreciate and I'm blessed by your faithfulness. But Lord, thank God your mercy is even beyond the clouds. It's in the heavens. His mercy. You know, sometimes there isn't anything you need except just to trust God and wait for His mercy. Wait for His mercy. Hope in His mercy. It's coming. Because God, look at Psalm 103. God is, friend, God is a merciful God. You know that? He delights in that. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Aren't you glad for that? If the Lord should mark your iniquities, who in this room would be able to stand? Who could stand if God kept track of your iniquities and reminded you every morning? You know, wouldn't it be something if if the verse said, the reminder of my sins is fresh every morning? (laughs) Brother Pat quoted that verse out of Lamentations. You know what's fresh, what's new every morning? His mercy. His mercy. Look at it, it says, it says, verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Look at verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. David said in another place in Psalm 27, he said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know what that is? David was just simply saying, Lord, I'm hoping and trusting you. I'm willing to wait because I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, God, you, if you'll wait on God and trust him and hope in his mercy, you'll see how good God is here on this earth. In the land of the living. You can see it here if you'll trust Him and wait and hope. Psalm 147, verse 11, you don't have to turn there. But it says, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. There is mercy from the Lord. Trust Him for that. When you're in the middle of a bad situation. Go with me back to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. This is just a little survey of... Talking about abounding in hope. The Bible's got, it it speaks about hope in all kinds of situations. Psalm 38, look at this one. Psalm 38. Let me get back there with you. Now this one, sit up and listen to this one. Because... This is a psalm of David. And you know, David was not a, a perfect believer. He made some serious mistakes. He, had, he sinned against God. So he understood what it was like to fail miserably. And to suffer the repercussions of that. David, David had some real, real sad experiences. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. 
but he let his stinking rotten flesh overcome his better judgment. And he failed miserably and publicly. And he writes about it more than once in the Bible. But this psalm has to do with hope even when you have failed miserably. Even when you have failed in such a way, look, look at the description of this situation. He says in verse number two, verse one, he's talking about rebuke and chastening. There are some times when you need from God a rebuke, maybe from another believer because you've done wrong. There are times when a child of God needs to be chastened, just like your children did when they were little. Children of God need to be chastened sometimes, corrected, reproved, rebuked. Verse 2, David says, Thine arrows stick fast in me. This hurts. Thine hand is pressed. Thine hand presseth me sore. I just picture a paddle in that hand. Bam. But notice, David's not blaming anybody else for the condition that he's in here. Look at verse number 3. Look at the last two words. My sin. Verse 4, mine iniquities. Verse 5, my foolishness. This is David. David is saying, Lord, this hurts. This hurts for you to put your hand on me and chasten me and correct me. Lord, they're like arrows in my soul. But Lord, I realize this is the result of my sin. This is the result of my iniquity. This is the result of my foolishness. David says, I'm troubled, I'm bowed down. I go mourning all the day. That's right. That's what happens if your heart's right toward God. When you fail and you fail in a miserable, in a horrible way. Thank God the Lord doesn't send you to hell. But I'm telling you, He'll put His hand on you. And those arrows of the Lord can pierce your heart. And David, look at the results of this. David says, verse 8, I'm feeble, sore broken. I've roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Verse 9, my groaning. Verse 10, my strength faileth me. Look at this, verse 11. Because this is normally what happens. My lovers, my friends, my kinsmen don't know what to do. They stand afar off. What do we do when we have really blown it? What do we do? Drive our car off the cliff? What do we do? Get out of fellowship with God? Run away and hide somewhere? When we've sinned so badly that even your loved ones, your kinsmen, your friends want to just step away. They don't know how to help. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And your sin not only causes those closest to you to not know how to handle it, but notice it certainly gives the enemies of God an opportunity. Look at the next verse. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, speak mischievous things, imagine deceits all the day long. But notice David's response to this. You want wisdom from God? This is wisdom right here. Pay attention. Verse 13. But I 
am as a deaf man. I as a deaf man heard not. I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus was I as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. In other words, no self-defense. No, yeah, but you don't understand. Yeah, but there were extenuating circumstances. Yeah, but you know what? I didn't really mean to do it that way. I meant to do it this way. But I, you just let me... You know what? Just shut up. David said, I was like a dumb man. I was like a deaf man. I didn't listen. I didn't want to listen because it's just too hard to handle. I didn't want to speak. I No self-defense. You know, this is Bible wisdom for you. This is Bible wisdom. Because you know what you and I are tempted to do every time we're caught in something? Now listen. If you don't need this, some dear brother or sister in Christ may need this. And in love, you might be able to convey this to someone who wasn't here this morning to hear it. But I'm saying this in love. There are times when it's better just not to say anything. And you know, but notice the next verse. It says, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Can I tell you, if you're a child of God and you have failed in a big way, don't lose hope. Yeah, many times there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you could do that would make the thing right. There's no defense that you could give because it most likely wouldn't be believed anyway. There are times when the only thing you can do is say, Lord, my hope is in you. My hope is in you. David says in verse 18, look at this. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. means, Lord, I'm not going to hide the thing. But my life and my future, my testimony, my everything is in your hands. I'm just going to trust you. Be honest. It says in verse number 21, David says, he just cries out to God for that mercy. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. When you're in a deep hole and it's a hole of your own making... You know what you need to do? Wait on God. Wait on God. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure you have acknowledged the truth. Confess the thing. But sometimes there's nothing to do but just wait on God. Quietly hope in the Lord. Because you know what? He's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. Look at this one. Psalm 131, it's right near, nearby. Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. In other words... Lord, I'm not full of myself. Now, David's being honest here. Lord, I, I know what I am. This is a realistic, a realistic view of yourself. You've got to get real with God. You've got to let the Bible uh, show you what you are. 
And you know what? If you're honest and you go in the book, you know what? You're going to have to be honest. You're going to, you know what you are? And you know what I am? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I told a couple of young men that lingered a little bit after Institute the other night. We were talking about what God might do with them or might not do, whatever. And, uh, and I believe the Lord's going to use them. But I said, you know what? I said, and they were, they were both mentioning how low of an opinion they have of themselves. And I said, you know what? That's good. Don't ever lose that. Because as long as you're a nobody, God will use you. As soon as you're a somebody, God won't use you. If you forget that you're just a nobody and you think that you're a somebody, then God's done with you. He only uses nobodies. He takes joy in using nobodies. And I'm glad I fit, I fit the qualifications for that. And I want God to use me, but I don't, want to ever, I don't want to ever deceive myself into thinking that I'm somebody. I'm nobody, and I know that. My wife reminds me of that, too, but no, I'm only kidding. She does not. She does not. She thinks I'm somebody, and I, I want to keep her. I want to keep her like that. I don't, I, I'm trying. She's home sick this morning, but I don't want her to ever find out the truth. But, but David had this. That's what David th- thought. You know, he, David, when he really looked at it, and he was the king of a country, he said, Lord, I... This is a king talking. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Watch this. Verse 2. You're going to learn something. Especially you mothers in here. Your mothers. Mothers are going to love this verse. And believe me, I had to ask a mother for a little help in understanding this verse. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. You know what? I said, like, what is it about a weaned child that I don't understand that? You know what? You cannot tell a nursing baby to wait. The baby, a nursing baby does not understand. Wait, mommy can't feed you right now. But you know what happens once a baby is weaned? A weaned baby can patiently wait. Not always so patiently, but, but at least he can understand, Mommy's not going to let me starve. A baby that's nursing does not understand it. Mommy's going to let me starve. I'm hungry. Right? It doesn't understand patience. It doesn't understand waiting. It doesn't understand hope. But David said, Lord, I'm like a weaned baby. Lord, I, there was a time when every time something was wrong, I just screamed. And I wanted it right now. Well, Lord, I've learned some things. Lord, I've learned that you always provide. I have learned that you're faithful. And Lord, here's my request, but I'm willing to wait. <laughs> that's, that's hope. A, a, a nursing baby doesn't know anything about hope, but a wean baby has already beginning in his little mind to understand, well, every, you know, mommy always takes care of me and there's always food there and, and I might be hungry right now, but... I know mommy's going to take care of it. You know what? That's the way you and I ought to be with our Father in heaven. Have you learned that he provides for you whatever you need? And sometimes when it doesn't come immediately, the first time you scream and kick your feet, you know what? Don't be like a nursing baby. Be like a wean baby. Learn how to wait. Learn how to trust. Learn how to hope. Just remember that your Father in heaven is faithful. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. There'll be... 
Whatever you need, it'll be on the table. God will put it in front of you. Maybe not right now, this second. You may have to call. You may have to remind him. You may have to trust. You may have to wait. You may have to get back in the book. But you know what? David said, let Israel hope in the Lord. What does hope have to do with being weaned of a weaned child? Just learning that God is always faithful. He'll never let you down. He will never let you down. I have a, oh boy, I have another whole page here, and I'm going to skip over it all. I'm going to go right to my last point. How's that? See, there's hope. <clears throat> See? <clears throat> I'm going to go, I'm skipping over. I wanted to talk about the blessed hope. The Lord is coming. One of these days you're going to get rid of your, you know, those, those are, <clears throat> you want that one too? I told you this watch didn't mean anything. All right, okay. All right, let's go, let's go look at Romans chapter 8 then. I, then I got two last points. I got two points, all right? Romans chapter 8. Now, everybody's going to hate you two guys right up here for that. All right. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> the Bible speaks in Romans chapter 8 of a hope that a child of God can have. Notice in Romans chapter 8, verse number 20. It says, for the creature... Oh, let's leave verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature... And you know by now who that creature is, right? That's not the creature from the Black Lagoon. That is, uh, that's you. If you're a child of God, if you're saved, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're a new person from the moment you got saved. There is your spirit wed to, married to, joined to the Spirit of God. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, the Bible says. So there's been a, there's been a union take place. And God looks upon you as one with Jesus Christ. You're in Christ and Jesus Christ is in you. So that, that new you that is saved is in the eyes of God a brand new person, a brand new creature. But notice it says, verse 19, for the earnest expectation. You know what earnest expectation is? That's hope. Hope is I have, I have something that I have, a, that I have a legitimate reason to expect because God has promised. And it's earnest. And earnest in the Bible, look up what that means. I mean, earnest has to do with like a down payment. A token of something given to you now as an indication of what is coming in the future. So here it is, my earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And this is just simply talking about that day which is coming when the Lord appears, when those who are real children of God, and you're, you are going to be changed. You're going to be changed. You know, I, I don't know if you get excited about that, but I'm looking forward to when I get to drop this stinking rotten flesh. I'm, I'm looking forward to that day when everything about me, I mean, I know my, I am saved and I'm in Christ and my spirit is, is born again. My soul still gives me trouble. My emotions, my mind, my thoughts, and my flesh is an enemy. But I'm glad one day, there's a day coming when God is going to, when the, those who are truly sons of God, it's going to be manifested that you are. There's going to be a change. It's not going to be inward any longer. It'll be outward. That it, it's going to, the inward is going to suddenly transform the outward. And the Bible speaks about it. You and I is being transformed. We're going to be translated. There's going to be a change. You're going to get rid of this vile body and get a body like unto His glorious body. That's what this is talking about. It says in verse 20, it says, For the creature was made subject to vanity... Meaning, here you are, this new creature, perfect, clean, righteous, with the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. That new creature on the inside, believe it or not, according to the Bible, cannot sin. 
You can sin, you can do wrong in your flesh, but that new creature which is joined to God cannot sin. And it says here, it says, but the creature was made subject to vanity. How is it possible that this brand new, clean, perfect creature inside of me has to dwell in this vessel of flesh, this earthen vessel, which is uh, so corrupt? God did that. It says uh, he made the creature subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, in hope, meaning While you exist in this vessel of clay, God wanted you to be able to look to the future and hope for the future because you have a promise from God that this condition is temporary. This condition is temporary. There's a day coming when you're going to get rid of this. Thank the Lord. Aren't you glad you're not going into heaven as nasty as you are now? Aren't you glad you're not going into heaven as unbelieving and full of yourself as you are now? You're going into heaven with all the evidence of this flesh gone. Gone. You're going to walk in heaven the way God sees you way down on the inside, that new creature. I don't know if that like ever gets a hold of your soul, but it should every once in a while. Because God subjected you in this situation. And he did this in hope. Because the creature itself also, verse 21, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That is this outward house of clay that I have to live in. I am going to be delivered from that. Like somebody breaking out of prison. Breaking out of prison. I don't know if it was Moody or Spurgeon. Uh, Charles, not David, but... I don't know if it was Moody or Spurgeon who said, when the day of my death comes, he said, don't mourn for me. Don't mourn for me. Because when that day comes, I am going to run like a little boy bounding out of school at the end of the day. Woo-hoo-hoo. You ever seen kids when school is over, the doors open, the bells ring, yeah, I'm free! Man, do you know what's going to happen one day? You're finally going to crack a smile. You're finally going to get happy in the Lord. Like a kid getting out of school at the end of the day. Like a convict getting out of prison. That day when the Lord delivers you from the bondage of this corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, all the earth, is affected by sin and groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, meaning the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience... Wait for it. I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting for that trumpet. I'm waiting when I get to get rid of this. The Bible speaks of that as the blessed hope. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God, our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessed hope. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, it says, <clears throat> go back there with me for a second. Concerning this great hope, 1 John chapter 3, all the way in the back of your Bible, look at verse number 1, familiar for some of you, but 
Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Can't describe exactly what that body may look like, that brand new glorious body. I don't know what it's going to look like. There are no photographs of Jesus Christ. You're going to look like Him. A glorious body like His. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him, do you have that hope in you? I have that hope in me. I have that hope. That one day, not only will I be in heaven, but one day I'll be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of anything I did, but because that was His plan. That was His will. And that's by His power and His grace. That was His idea, not mine. But I'm glad He had that idea. That we would be like Him. But every one of us that has this hope, you know what we should be doing in the meantime? Purifying ourselves. Even as He is pure. If that's your future then live godly now. Live like a son of God, a child of God now. Your blessed hope. Last point. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Abounding in hope. Abounding in hope. Hope in every kind of a situation. Hope just from spending some time in the book. Hope for our children, for the future. Hope even when we've sinned miserably. Hope when you're wrestling and struggling against your flesh. Just remember, there's coming a day when you won't have that fight anymore. But here's another one. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go down to verse number 8. And there's a lot of practical stuff here. I wish we had time to <clears throat> talk about it. But 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. It says, finally. See, finally. Finally, be ye all of one mind, that's good, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, that means have some sympathy. Pitiful just means having some sympathy, some real compassion for each other. Sympathy, it's important. Be courteous. By the way, this will probably work in your marriage, too. It's a good verse for marriage, for a marriage seminar. Have a little compassion towards your spouse. Love her like a sister. The Song of Solomon mentions Solomon's wife, my sister, my spouse. It says, be pitiful, be sympathetic, be courteous. Some of you guys ought to practice that with your own family. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrariwise, on the other hand, in other words, blessing, knowing that ye are there unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, some people say, I hate my life. You want to love your life? Here's how to love your life. Here's a life that anybody could love. It's a life full of the blessings of God. If you hate your life, I guarantee you, you're not where you should be with God. If you hate your life, and I don't care what might be going wrong in your life, if you hate your life, you are not right with the Lord. 
You get close to Him, you know what? You'll get some joy. You get close to Him, you'll get some peace. You get close to Him, He will rekindle your hope. It says, He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. That's deceit. Let him eschew evil, avoid it, shun it. Stay away from evil. Don't look at it. Don't listen to it. Don't be around it. There are places a Christian should not go. There are things a Christian should not be looking at. Say, well, I have liberty. No, there are things that are bad for your heart. There are things that will leave an impression on your eyeballs and your brain that it will take you years to shake them out. It will ruin your attitude. There's some of you guys, you should probably preach a whole message on this, but there are some of you guys, your, your um, should I call it an addiction? Your uh, playing around with pornography is killing your marriage. You think, ah, it just spices things up. I'm a man after all. You know what? It, it ruins your attitude towards your wife. And some of you think it's like, I don't know, it's like, hey, everybody does it. Yeah, and everybody's miserable. <laughs> you want to be like everybody? Go ahead. You want to have a lousy marriage like everybody? Want to have your wife not trust you like most wives don't trust their husbands? Want to give your wife a reason to suspect you? You can avoid it. You can turn your eyes away from it. You can shut it off. You can throw it away. You can just decide in your heart, you know what, I'm... You don't have that kind of control over your own spirit. It says, eschew evil, avoid it, shun it, go the other direction and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Not talking about the lost. He's talking about his own children. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But watch this. I love this verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify means. There's <clears throat> a lot of different definitions for it. It's used in a variety of ways. But in this passage, it means to set the Lord before you. Sanctify. The Lord, give him that place of importance before you. Remember, like David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Um, he is even at my right hand. And I forget how the verse goes, but I think the next verse has the word hope in it. Psalm 16. Um, keep your finger right there in first Peter, chapter three. But this one comes to mind. Let me just see. Maybe I'm wrong. Psalm 16. Set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord, all, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in what? Hope. Now, I know that's a verse about the resurrection and it's speaking about the Lord's physical flesh, his body resting in the grave in hope of that resurrection. But you know what? Your flesh, your flesh can rest if you will set the Lord always before you. I have set the Lord always before me 
My flesh also shall rest in hope. And back in first Peter chapter three, it says, sanctify the Lord God. In other words, set him before you. Set him before you. Set your affection, like the Bible says, on things above. Think about him. Read about him. Meditate on him. Talk about him. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what? This world expects that in a crisis, most people despair. Most people get angry. Most people, when they fail, are going to run and hide. Most people, when they've done wrong, are going to find some excuse for it. They're going to justify it. They're going to try and cover their tracks. They're going to do whatever they can to just make themselves not look as bad as it really is. The world understands that. We see it all the time with our politicians and everybody. But you know what? A child of God, there should be so much hope in your life that people would actually ask you, like, why do you have so much confidence in the future? Why do you have so much peace and so much joy? The Bible says if you can set the Lord before you, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Give Him that place of preeminence in your life. And you know what? People will be asking you, why are you so hopeful? How come you're not despairing and discouraged like everybody else? How come you're actually, you actually have some joy concerning the future? Have you got some hope today? The Bible says that you may abound in hope. An abundance of hope, abounding in hope. That was our verse we started out with. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I hope you have some hope today. If you're a child of God, it doesn't matter what might be going on around you in your life. You know what? God is faithful. God is good. God is merciful. God will not fail you. He will not fail you. If you'll wait on Him, trust Him. Keep your eyes fixed upon Him. Set Him before you always. No matter what happens. Let's bow our heads this morning.